Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see our church getting fuller and fuller each week. Wouldn't you agree with me? Isn't that great to see? You know, we're in a series called Kingdom Changers where we're looking at very ordinary men and women who did some very extraordinary things for God. And today's Kingdom Changer will be a name that's very familiar to many of you. In fact, some of you might even be named after this person, and his name is Daniel. All right? Now, oftentimes when we think of Daniel, we think of Daniel and the lion's den, right? And that's part of his life, part of his story, and we're going to get to that. But I really want to start off where the Bible starts off with Daniel, and that's when Daniel was a teenager. And we're going to see that in Daniel's day and time, he faced certain pressures and certain challenges that we face in our day and time as well. In fact, if I were to ask you this morning, let's take a little survey in here, um, whether or not our country and our culture is getting closer to God or farther from God. How many of you would say our culture is getting closer to God? How many of you say we are getting further and further from God as days progress? Yeah, I would agree. All of us sense this huge shift, don't we, in, in values and in faith in our culture. And we often wonder, you know, well, why, why don't our young people respect anybody anymore? Well, it's because culture doesn't respect anybody anymore. Have you noticed that? Why don't our young people, um, why don't they value sex as something that's treasured and God-given and God-ordained and, and for marriage between a man and a woman? Because our culture does not value sex. Our culture takes sex flippantly, so our youth are going to take sex flippantly. Why doesn't our youth today put any value on life and seeing life as being sacred, whether the life of others or many times even their own lives? Because we're the generation of abortion on demand. We're the generation of mass shootings. And in all three of these, all three of these scenarios, whether it's authority, whether it comes down to uh, sex, whether it comes down to um, what we just talked about as well, it all comes down to a lack of God being in our community. That if God is the ultimate authority and authority comes from him and we've chucked God out, we're not going to have any reason to respect one another. If God's thrown out, we have no reason to see sex as something sacred because it was his idea. It's more than just some physical thing that I've got to satisfy, like a, an itch that has to be scratched. It's God-ordained and should be done in God-ordained ways. And life... God is the author of life. If life comes from God, if life is sacred because people are made in the image of God, well, if you take God out of a culture, there's no reason that life should be valued because life is simply seen as accidental, right? So all these things have their common denominator of being a culture that has really given God the heave-ho. We told him to take a hike. So here's the question. How do we, as people of faith, how do we stand out and how do we stand strong in a culture of compromise, in a culture of godlessness? How do we live in Babylon without Babylon living in us? That's the question. And Daniel's going to show us today. Daniel's story picks up in the year 605 B.C., when a king from the north named Nebuchadnezzar swooped down upon Israel and upon Judah, and he invaded Israel and Judah, and he destroyed the temple, he crushed their religious temples for one reason. He was looking to eradicate any notion of worship of the one true God of Israel, the God they knew as Yahweh. So Daniel, this teenage boy, sees his nation in ruins. 
He's taken captive and he's transported back up north a thousand miles away to Babylon. A culture that was very perverse, a culture that was very godless, much like the culture we find ourselves in today here in America. So let's see where his story starts in Daniel chapter 1 starting in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Listen to this. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king wants these Israelite exiles to talk like Babylonians talk and to think like Babylonians think. But that's not it. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So this is a very intentional process to try to indoctrinate and to brainwash these young Hebrew exiles who are now living in a new land. And they're at just the ripe age, are they not? 17, 18 years old. We see the same thing happen in our day and time, do we not? We take our young people and we send them to universities when they get to a certain age. Young people who grew up in church, young people who grew up in Christian families, young people who often made professions of faith. And yet after being in the classroom of a professor who's slick and winsome and crafty, that professor in one semester's time can get them to, avow, to disavow any allegiance to Jesus or to the Christian faith. We've seen it happen. And it's not just Daniel that finds himself in this situation. Daniel has some friends that have gone into exile with him. We read about these boys in Daniel 1, verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So how are Daniel and his buddies going to stand up strong in a culture that's very hostile to the faith that they represent? Well, here's the first thing that they do. And these are things that we need to do in our day and time. First thing, remember who God says you are. Listen to what it says in Daniel 1.7. The chief official gave them new names. So he's wanting to erase their old identities and give them new identities. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Again, the king doesn't want to just change the way they speak. He doesn't want to just change the way they believe. He wants to give them completely new identities, all right? So he's trying to whitewash their, their Jewishness about them. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is, meaning there's nobody like our God. And Azariah in Hebrew means God has helped. So each of these four boys had parents who intentionally gave them names that is tied to the worship of their God. So guess what the Babylonians do? They intentionally give these boys names that are tied to the gods of Babylon. So make no mistake about it. 
these boys' identity was changed to encourage them to forget about your homeland, to forget about your God, to forget about the religion you grew up with, and embrace and accept the gods and the culture of Babylon. So a key to standing strong in any culture in which you find yourself, ladies and gentlemen, is to remember your identity, to remember who you are. It's interesting because as I was working on this message this week, I had lunch with a few local pastors, and and all three of us kind of expressed a sincere sentiment that we have. And that is our fear is that a lot of people in our congregations are not putting their identity in Christ first and foremost in their life. Because we get our identity shaped by a lot of different things, do we not? We can get identity shaped by how smart we are, how wealthy we are, how successful we are, what political party we belong to, our looks. There's all sorts of things that can shape and form our identity. But let me remind you here this morning, folks, the singular most important thing about you is your identity in Jesus Christ. That is what should dictate how you live, how you speak, how you function on a day-to-day basis. And here's the problem. A lot of us have allowed other voices to determine how we see ourselves. Some of us in here this morning can't erase that recording of when someone said, you're a bad person, you're a bad parent. You're stupid, you're weird, you're fat, you're ugly. There's nothing that's good that's going to happen out of your life. And we've allowed those things to shape our identity. But here's what God says. You're made of my image, which makes you beautiful. You've been purchased by my son, which makes you loved, it makes you forgiven, it makes you my child. And it means that I've got something big planned for your life. Never forget who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember your identity. Here's the second thing we find them doing. They resolve, specifically Daniel, not to compromise ahead of time. And we read here that the king wanted them to eat meat and to drink wine from the king's table. This was wine and this was meat that had been... um, sacrificed to and offered to the gods of the Babylonians. So how does Daniel respond to this? Verse 8, but Daniel, and here's the key word, Daniel resolved. He had predetermined. He was calculating the future, and he'd already made some decisions about the future. He had resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. In other words, Daniel said, all these other boys you brought from other countries, you give them the meat and the wine. But me and my little gang right here, would you just please give us vegetables and water and we will do just fine on that. Daniel had already predetermined he was not going to defile himself ahead of time. And listen, friends, if you were going to succeed in your walk with Jesus... A lot of times you've got to be one step ahead that when your feet hit that floor every day when you get out of bed, you've already got to have certain decisions made. You've got to be decisive. You've got to be pre-calculating some things because when you live in Babylon, temptations are going to come from all directions. For example, if you're married and you go to work 
you got to predetermine that when that person of the opposite sex starts to lament their marriage, you're not going to be the listening ear, the one that tries to help them through it. you got to say, you got to find another man or you got to find another woman to talk to about this because that person can't be me. I've already predetermined that. When you guys go on business trips, when you're out of town and nobody's there and nobody knows, and the rest of the guys say, hey, business time's over, let's go hit the bars, tie one off, let's go to the strip clubs. Which is a very real thing that some of you face. I've talked to some of you. You have to predetermine in advance, that's not the way I roll. Some of our youth here today, you have to make predetermined decisions about underage drinking, about disrespecting your parents, about cheating on exams when all the other students are doing it, about experimenting sexually. I know that's part of the cultural landscape you live in. That's how people act in Babylon. But listen to me, young people. If you are in Christ, you don't live in Babylon. You've got another king. You're from another land. And you've got to predetermine to say no to some of these things. And listen, when you do things the Daniel way, you're going to stand ten times higher than your peers, and people will notice. Listen what it says in Daniel 1.18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Listen to this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So you've got to decide, be resolute about things you will not compromise on ahead of time, folks. Third thing that got them through is that you stand strong when you rely on others for your strength. The Christian life was never meant to be a solo sport. The only way Daniel and his companions were able to stand strong is that they stood together. And the same must be true said of us. And here's what I know. I know that oftentimes what keeps me at arm's length from you and what keeps you at arm's length from me is that we, each of us, thinks that the others got all their stuff together just right. That you think life's perfect in the David household, and I think that life might be perfect in your household. But listen to me, friends. All that junk in our lives, all the failures, the addictions, the scars, the losses, the griefs, you know what that stuff is? It's part of our story that God uses. It's part of the materials that are used to build a bridge into other people's lives who are hurting, who don't have it all together themselves. And we can say, I can relate to you because I've been there, done that. In fact, here's what I want to do this morning. Just so nobody feels like they're alone, so nobody feels like they're the odd man out because their life just isn't perfect like all us church folk, right? I want to go through a list of just a variety of things that are part of the human experience. 
And when I get to the end of this list, if any of these things have described you, if you can relate, if you say, that's me, that was me, or I've been there, or if there's one, two, three, or four, or the whole list applies to you, all I simply want you to do at the end of this is just raise your hand. This is for the sake of everybody else in here who thinks they're the only one, okay? So here we go. If you've ever suffered from deep grief or loss or loneliness, if you or someone you love has been troubled by an addiction to alcohol, sex, gambling, or substance abuse, if you've ever been through the pain of betrayal, divorce, or a broken family, if you've ever experienced the death of a spouse or a child, if you've ever had a miscarriage or known the ache of wanting children but not being able to have them, if you've known vocational pain, financial pain, failure, termination, or joblessness, if you or a loved one has been through cancer, a heart problem, or some disease, or life-threatening ailment, if you've ever been the victim of physical, sexual, emotional abuse, or assault, if you or someone you love has ever suffered from anxiety, phobias, depression, or some other debilitating mental health challenge, if you've experienced any of these conditions I just listed, or some sort of significant suffering, would you just please raise your hand right now? Does everybody look around? Pretty much every hand in this room is raised. I do this to prove one point. We've all got scars. And we're told in our culture that scars are ugly and scars need to be hidden, right? That's why we never post scars on social media. Because we want to present our ideal self out there, even though we know the scars are there. That's why you'll never find a post that says something like this. Well, we said goodbye to Grandma today as she started her 10-year prison sentence. Or here's a selfie of me getting escorted out of my place of employment by the security guard because I just got fired today. Frown emoji, right? We don't ever post stuff like that. We're never that raw or real on social media because social media is the place where people have got their act together, right? But we know that life is not always together. It's not always great. This is why we need each other. It's why Daniel and these three guys needed one another to get themselves through. Here's number four. Expect to be torn down, torn down when you stand out. Expect to be torn down when you stand out. By the time we get to Daniel 6, a lot of time has passed by, like 67 years. Daniel is now in his 80s, and there's even a new king. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. There's a king named Darius who's now in control. Listen to what it says in Daniel 6.3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now listen to me, and some of you in here can testify to this. When you set yourself apart as a person of integrity, as a person of character, as a person who has some predetermined no's in life, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do that, you will be targeted by people in this world. Just by virtue of you trying to live a God-honoring life, there are going to be people who try to tear you down. They're going to look for that one chink in the armor and capitalize on that and drag you down through that. Daniel had been one of three administrators over the kingdom, and now the king is setting him up to be the man. All right? So here's what Daniel's co-workers do. The guys who envy him, the guys who don't like him, the guys who don't like his Jewishness still about him. They set out to ruin his reputation. So they go on a hunt. 
They check records. They look at old yearbooks. They call TMZ, right? They look at his browser history on the internet. They check out his Facebook page. They make sure he doesn't have any pictures taken with Jeffrey Epstein in the past, right? They're doing all that they can to uncover dirt on this guy. And here's what they realize after a long search. He's squeaky clean. Listen to what it says about Daniel in Daniel 6.4. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. This is a guy who's got a 60-year history in Babylon. Over 60 years, and they can't find anything on him. I wonder if the same could be said of us. Or if it would take people just a heartbeat to find something that they could bring us down with. So, now they have to take matters in their own hands. So here's what they decide. They're going to use Daniel's religion against him. Let's use Daniel's love of God against him. And the way they do this is they come up with this plan where they go to the king and they say, King, listen, you are so great. You're such an awesome king that you're like a god. And you know, just like people pray to God's king, people should be praying only to you. And our contention is, over the next 30 days, that if anybody prays to anybody but you, you should have them thrown in the lion's den because you're worthy of prayers. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of reverence. So they try to butter him up and they schmooze him to the point where he listens to them. And he actually crafts a law that says, anybody who prays to any other god except to the king is going to be thrown into the lion's den. And listen, these were not cute, cuddly, furry lions singing Hakuna Matata, okay? These were designed to be eating machines. That's what they were designed for. And the whole reason these men conspired this is because they knew Daniel faithfully prays three times a day and everybody knows it. So what's Daniel going to do now? Is he going to run? Is he going to hide? Is he going to just stop praying for 30 days? Now when he prays, is he just going to kind of conveniently close his windows so nobody can see into his house? Is that, is that Daniel's response? That brings up the last point. We've seen this in every story so far. That kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stay in it. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stay in it. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I love Daniel's consistency. I love his predetermination. And when his enemies see this, they say, busted. And they take their collective witness to the king. And they share with him what Daniel's done. How dare he disrespect you like this king. And the king's heart was broken. Because he cared for Daniel. He trusted Daniel. And the king knew that the law that he had written said that Daniel know how to be fed to the lions. Because in Babylon, even though a king made a law, the law could not be changed until it had reached its full force. So for 30 days, that law was in effect, and the king could do nothing about it. So Daniel gets thrown to the lions. 
And I don't know what Daniel's feelings or emotions were during that time, but I love an artist's rendering. I don't know who painted this picture, when it came out, but it's always been one of my favorites because we see this pride of lions there, and we see bones on the floor, meaning they have done their job before, right? But what I love about Daniel in this picture is that his back is to the threat. He's not facing that which threatens him. He is looking up and looking out to the one and only who can deliver him. I love that kind of peace and confidence that a man of God can have, even though terror surrounds him. And he's trusting in his God at that moment. So King Darius is so shook up, he can't eat, he can't sleep. In fact, next morning he gets up as early as possible, runs down to the lion's den, and says, Daniel, are you there? Has your God been able to save you? And Daniel simply says, yeah. He sent an angel to shut the mouths of these lions. And the king realized what a miracle this was because nobody who ever went in there ever came out alive. Daniel's the first. And he realized the trueness and the greatness of the God of Daniel, and he made a decree across the land that said, from now on, you shall only pray to the God of Daniel. An entire kingdom, an entire piece of history of mankind was formed and shaped because of one man's obedience and his loyalty to no one but his one true king. And just like God used Daniel in that day and time to shape and to form and to craft history, he wants to use you and me as well. He wants us to be influencers on our neighbors and the vendors and the workplace and your friends and your family. He wants us to be the kind of people of character that the world stands up and takes notice and that the Holy Spirit of God works through to effect change in a culture of compromise. Three times a day, Daniel prayed. Three times a day, he had to get on his knees so that through worship, through that experience and that connection with him and his creator, he could find the strength to stand up for what he knew he had to stand up for in Babylon. And if Daniel needed to pray, I know we need to pray. If Nehemiah needed to pray, we need to pray. If Esther needed to pray, we need to pray. Have you seen that common thread woven throughout all these characters? Nothing happened without them first being on their knees. Let me show you something this morning as we enter into our time of communion. Jesus shows the exact same thing in his life that Daniel showed in his. You remember in the wilderness, in temptation, the enemy was always trying to get him to question his identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, do this. And Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was. And he staked in the ground that he knew that he was the son of God. He knew his identity. Just like Daniel would not defile himself with meat from the king's table, Jesus would not defile himself with any kind of carnality or sin. In fact, one time somebody said, Jesus, dinner's ready. Here's what Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was resolute that his life would only be lived as a means of worshiping God. 
Jesus also realized the value of not going through life alone. He had 12 of his disciples with him. And in a night of angst, in a night of inner turmoil, as he's praying in Gethsemane, he asks his followers, come, and you pray with me as well. Jesus knew as well that when you stand up, you're going to have people who are going to try to take you down. He always was always, always going like this with the religious leaders of the day who were always trying to bring him down, always trying to accuse him, always trying to look for that chink in his armor. In fact, Jesus even said in um, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He's just stating a fact. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? In other words, I'm just being true to who I am. And you guys are trying to take me down. And Jesus knew that kneeling to pray is what would give him the strength and the endurance to endure death on the cross. Because where do we find him before the most defining moment of his life? Where do we find him the night before? In the garden, doing what? Praying. What do we find him doing on the cross as he's dying? What do we find him doing? Praying. And just like God saved Daniel from the death, from the mouth of the lion's den, and it changed the whole nature of worship in that nation, you remember what Jesus said in John 12, 32? And I when I am lifted up from the earth, when my Father resurrects me, when he delivers me back from death's hands, I will draw all people to myself. I will change the scope of humanity forever. So oftentimes at communion, we remember the death of Jesus, which we should, but let's remember the life of Jesus that he laid out for us to model after him. So now if you would, would you take the bread that you have and in remembrance of the life of Jesus and his resoluteness and knowing who he was and knowing the value of community and standing up and praying so he could stand strong, let's eat the bread that represents his body. And in the same way, as the blood of Jesus came out and he atoned for the sins of the world, completely changing the trajectory of the world in which we live for those who would so choose. We drink now in acknowledgement of that sacrifice. Now would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the lesson of Daniel today. Father, your church is your representatives in this world. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands, we are his feet. We are your ambassadors, Lord. So I pray, Lord, you'll give us strength to stand up in a culture of compromise, strength to stand out in a culture that's becoming increasingly godless. Give the church her voice to speak on the things, Lord, that are near and dear to you, to live in ways that are distinct from the culture in which we find ourselves. Thank you for men like Daniel, for women like Esther, for men like Nehemiah, Lord, and for others who we'll look at who show that one person can completely change a kingdom in the course of human history. May we be faithful in the day and time which you placed us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus.